friends, welcome to This Week in the Way of Jesus, a podcast by the 8th Street Church. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that is trying to live this way of Jesus. You'll find both weekly spiritual practices and weekly sermons on this podcast feed. For more information about the 8th Street Church, please visit our website, www.8thstreetchurch.org, or our social media pages linked in the show notes below. Greetings in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, in some uh, Christian traditions, maybe some that you've known before, sometimes you see our sisters and brothers in Christ whenever they say that, or in other times in worship, you'll see them make the sign of the cross, right? Uh, Sometimes you see athletes do this too, you know. (laughs) And um, they're doing that, of course, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, partly as a way to remember that as the people of God, we are marked in a particular way. And it's almost a way to say, God, I belong to you. I'm yours. Well, it's Trinity Sunday. Thank you. Yeah, I I wasn't sure how excited you were going to be about that. But, you know, I hope that by the time we're finished today, you might be a little excited about it. Uh, as we think about what this actually means for our life in Christ and what this means for our life together in God. Trinity Sunday in the Christian calendar, of course, it typically doesn't get quite as much press as Christmas or Easter or even Pentecost Sunday as we celebrated it together uh, last week, but it's very significant because, partly because, it invites us to ask again the important question, Who is God? While the word Trinity isn't found in the Bible, the idea of Trinity is throughout the Bible. The church uses that word to describe what the scriptures show us about the nature of God, which of course centers in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I just need to give up, before we get into the text today, I just need to give a little bit of a disclaimer, um, because you know, uh, and some will understand this, whenever a preacher is called upon to preach about the Trinity, this assignment is fraught with peril. Uh, danger is lurking, uh, because we, we know that as we labor to try and give some kind of meaningful expression to this, <laughs> this beautiful, mysterious reality, we're always just a hair's breadth from heresy. (laughs) Uh, For example, I I do remember uh, one of my Sunday school teachers when I was a kid trying to somehow explain to us this whole concept of of Trinity using the illustration of water as it can exist in three forms, solid, liquid, gas, which of course some would know is the classical heresy of modalism. But, you know, know, I didn't know that as a seven-year-old. Uh, that, that was the kind of thing that get your, back in the day would get your run out of the church. And so I learned, as I learned here last week, uh, there are actually several students of theology in this congregation, uh, including some NTS alumni, I found out last week, which is uh, great to hear. And so I thought that as I preached today on this subject of Trinity, maybe I should invite these theology students to be like officials at a football match you know, a soccer match, I thought I would pass out yellow cards and red cards. 
You know, and if I say something a little questionable, you could yellow card me. And then if I really go off the rails, you could red card me, you know. But you can just call me down if I do something like that. Now, the thing is, in all seriousness, what we're talking about today is not just a test of the preacher's orthodoxy or capacity as a theologian. What we're doing today and thinking about today is worship. We're being invited to think about and respond to the surprising things that God has done to make God's self known to us, and not only that, but also to invite us and enable our participation in the very life of God. So there's two texts that we're going to uh, let guide our thoughts today, and the first one is the prologue to John's gospel. So Gospel of John, chapter 1. That's the first part that we're going to look at. And then, if you want to kind of get your finger in the other place, we're going to go to the Apostle Paul's benediction that he gives at the end of his Corinthian letters. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13, clear at the end. We'll, we'll go and bring that in as well. So beginning with Gospel of John chapter 1. As you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we hear together the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And then skipping down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And then Paul's benediction, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. The, the doctrine of Trinity is not, uh, it's certainly not incidental. It's not uh, peripheral to our faith as Christians. Our understanding of God as three in one is what actually truly makes us Christian. Because it centers our faith, it centers our understanding of God in the revelation of God's self to us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so this actually flows pretty naturally from where we were last Sunday as we were thinking about the gift of Pentecost. There, we noted, remember in Acts chapter 2, that the Spirit-filled believers, those who had experienced this amazing outpouring of God by the Holy Spirit, they immediately hit the streets, remember, to do what? To preach, to, to proclaim the gospel. And part of what's so amazing about that is that these Jewish I mean, think about this. These Jewish monastic believers begin their preaching with, Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah. That's pretty remarkable because these folk who regularly proclaimed in their worship the Shema, where they said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were strict monotheists, in contrast to many of their neighbors. They believed and proclaimed one God, not a whole bunch of gods. So now these people are now saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's remarkable that they would come to understand God as one in essential being and yet three in distinct personhood. Or, in the words of an old creed, the Athanasian Creed, we worship one God in Trinity and in the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. You've just gone to a seminary class. Congratulations. (laughs) The preaching of the first followers of Jesus, it pressed God's people to rethink this question. Who is God? Which I don't, maybe is the question of all questions, isn't it? We instinctively, when we go in search of questions, answers to questions like that, we instinctively turn to the Bible, which is a good, that's a good instinct. Uh, but truthfully, the Bible isn't always helpful here. Now, before you get in a twist with that, just hold on. <laughs> Uh, I do think the Bible is authoritative and instructive, but sometimes we can get confusing messages. You know this if you've read the Bible very much. I mean, for example, when Moses wants to know who God is, God says, I am who I am. What? What what does that mean? (laughs) Or, Or when Job dares to question who God is and what God is up to. You might remember the answer that comes back to Job is, who is this that dares to stand before me and question me? And we might say, see, that's what I thought. Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, you know, and and all of that. So how do we get a meaningful and helpful idea of who God is? Enter Jesus. Paul says it like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Doesn't that sound just a little bit like what we heard in John? 
I, I think John is actually reaching it toward this in our text for today as he begins his gospel so differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke begin their gospels. You know, Matthew and Luke begin with the birth narratives that we remember every time we come through Advent and Christmas. Mark just jumps right in and begins with the baptism of Jesus and launches right into his ministry. John does something very different. He wants us to know right off the bat that this Jesus of Nazareth that we're going to hear about is none other than the eternal God, the Logos, the Word, the divine logic of God, the one who was there present when God said, let there be. And everything that is came into existence. Jesus is what God has to say. You realize, I trust, that when we talk about the Word of God, our source for truth, we're most essentially talking about Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. And I love that that's how John chooses to begin his story. Have you ever really thought about the power of a word? Words can be so powerful. A simple word, a combination of a few syllables, a few sounds or symbols that can seem harmless enough on the surface of things, but you know, a word can change your life. Will you marry me? <laughs> that could change your life. Congratulations, it's a girl. I love you. Welcome home. She's going to be okay. The prince of Nigeria wants to send you money. No, maybe, maybe not that. Maybe not that one. But simple words that can change things. Words are powerful. They can, they can fulfill. They can bless. They, they can hurt, too. They can destroy. Sometimes words are positive. Sometimes they're not positive. Divorce is granted. You're fired. I'm sorry, he didn't make it. Simple words, but they can change our lives because those words are filled with such meaning. I guess that's why I find it so intriguing that John begins the story of God with a word. And not just any word, but a word made flesh. John is saying to us, that if we are going to rightly answer the question, who is God, we might want to begin with the understanding that our God is a God who speaks. Our God is not a God who hides, who, who, who obscures God's self to us. Our God is a God who speaks, and you see it throughout the story of God's dealings with his people, the relationship is always characterized by speech. God speaks with Adam and Eve in the garden. God speaks with Noah. God spoke with Abram of Ur and drew him into the covenant promise of a people and the land. God spoke to Moses, and through Moses, God speaks to his people. Of course, God speaks and spoke through all kinds of prophets like 
Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and many, many others. But then, in the story of God, as it's given to us in Holy Scripture, there's an amazing thing that happens. Because between the closing words of the Old Testament and the opening words of the New Testament, I don't know if you know this, there are 400 years of silence. There's no word. 400 years. That's all. How old is the United States? Less than 300, right? I mean, that's a long time, 400 years. No word. And the questions for God's people must have been acute. Where is God? Has God left us forever? Has God just finally become so angry that he's washed his hands of the entire creation? No word. Until... <laughs> Into that deafening silence, finally, God speaks. And this time, God speaks with love. God speaks forgiveness and acceptance. God speaks a word of compassion, a word of life. God speaks a word that is everlasting, a word that became flesh. <laughs> and actually lived among us. I love the way the writer to the Hebrews says it in that book in the New Testament when he says, God, who in the past spoke through the fathers and the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. God has spoken. There's a fresh word from God. <laughs> and when we look into the face of Jesus, we see that God is one who loves us and longs to hear our words. God invites us to pour out to him everything that's true about us. Our disappointment, our pain, the anger even that we can experience. And God loves us in the thick of all of it. Now, you might be saying, well, that's all great, but <laughs> what does any of that have to do with Trinity? <laughs> there would be a lot of possible ways to, to say this, but let, let me put it this way. Jesus does not repair God's image. Jesus reveals God's character. That is, what we see in Jesus that draws us to him, that is the heart and essence of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in relationship with one another. One of the best ways to think about Trinity that we're trying to think about today is to imagine a holy community of love in which each member seeks and serves the good of the other. There's a, there's a wonderful theological word for that. The word is perichoresis. It's a little hard to even just exactly translate, but it's kind of the idea that we were talking to one another about a little while ago. It's really the idea of kind of a holy dance, <laughs> 
that takes place, which I think is the reason for the question. <laughs> what do you like to dance to? I'd love to hear all those answers. But <laughs> One of my favorite images for this is the 15th century icon by the Russian artist Andrei Rublev. It was titled The Visitors or The Hospitality to Abraham as an interpretation of that story in Genesis 18 when the three heavenly visitors come to visit Abraham. But it's long been interpreted as a way of thinking about the Holy Trinity. It was uh, my privilege to view it in Moscow a number of years ago, and I think I actually, yeah, there. What I love about this photo is I'm standing next to the holy icon with a Cubs shirt on. Isn't that fantastic? But what, what you might notice, let's go back to that other slide because <laughs> it's a little bit. What, what you might notice is, is how, do you see how the figures are postured kind of toward one another? Sort of bowing to one another. Do you see that? Not only are they gathered into a circle of mutuality, but they're, they're bowing to one another at, in a posture of service and even somewhat of movement toward one another. And at the center there, you see the cup, which easily suggests to us a table of fellowship to which we are invited as the people of God. And this really is the heart of the matter. You see, what, what is so consequential about understanding God as Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit, it's the relational, communal nature of God. And not only that, but here's the amazing fact, that through the work of Jesus, we are invited into this fellowship of holy love. That's the amazing part. That's the part I want you to get excited about right there. <laughs> That's the big part. It's not just that God exists this way, it's that we're being invited into it. Paul Young's novel that you may have encountered years ago, The Shack, it was later made into a movie, um, was an interesting depiction of the author's imagined or dreamt encounter with God. And it was born, you might remember, out of his own personal pain that led him to an encounter with God in a way that was surprising to him and yet inviting. Now, please, I'm not suggesting the shack as impeccable Trinitarian theology, <laughs> but, but there is something compelling about the relational warmth and welcome that Young used to depict his renewed understanding of who God is. You see, Trinity is not simply a philosophical concept to be understood or a theological commitment to be affirmed. Trinity is a fellowship of holy love that means to restore and redeem God's good creation, including you and me. And maybe, maybe that's the point of response for us here on Trinity Sunday.
what God invites us to know about who God is was revealed to us fully in Jesus who opens his arms to us saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, my, my preferred outcome for us today is, is not that you would uh, know how to think of the Trinity in theologically astute ways. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope maybe you've learned something that is helpful, but my real desire for us today is that you would experience a new, or maybe even for the first time, that you might experience the warmth of God's invitation extended to you. Extended to you to become a part of God's new creation project of making all things new. That's what God's up to. Reconciling this whole world to God's self, making everything new. And you and I, as the people of God, we are being invited into that, not just for the sake of the project, but for the sake of actually being restored and renewed in relationship with one another so that our life together can begin to image to the world something about who God actually is. That's what we mean to do in the world not just running around making a bunch of projects and doing a bunch of stuff. All that can be great, but we especially are meant as the body of Christ to demonstrate something about this God that lives in this kind of whole relationship with each other and now in Christ with us. You know as well as I do, we probably don't have the capacity to do that on our own. I mean, you know, just, just look at us. What in the world would bring us together <laughs> other than Jesus? It's in Jesus that we come together. And it's in Jesus that we come to this table of grace that has lavishly been set for us. It is in receiving. When we come to this table, you know, I trust you know, that we're not only coming to remember what Jesus did for us once upon a time. That's a part of it. But we are coming actually to meet Jesus in this moment. Christ is present at the table. And we come actually to receive God's grace so that we can go from here and live this way in Trinitarian love <laughs> that images to the world the reconciling love of God. Thanks be to God. Let's come together to the table. Well, friends, we want to invite you now to respond to the good news that we have certainly heard today. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by those he came to save, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in affectionate remembrance of me. 
We practice an open table here at 8th Street Church. That means that this is not an 8th Street table. This is not a Nazarene table. This is Jesus's table. So anyone who is open to God's good work, anyone who wants to say yes to Jesus or wants to want to say yes to Jesus is welcome here. Uh, We invite you to come down the center aisle. Come with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion. We receive it as the good gift that it is. Listen to what these servers have to say. They'll place a piece of bread in your hands and you can dip it in the cup. Uh, We want no barriers here. So our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. If for any reason you cannot make it down the aisle, wave to Pastor Andrea and she would be happy to bring the elements to you. So friends, when you are ready, please come forward. Friends, each week we invite our congregation to respond to what they have heard by entering into a weekly spiritual practice. You can find that episode to practice and enter into this way of Jesus in the podcast feed. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you wherever you go.